You're listening to the Bach to Rock South Riding Podcast, the podcast by music educators from America's Music School. Well, welcome back to the Bach to Rock South Riding Podcast. I'm here with my co-hosts, Josh and Tom. My name is Aaron, and today we're going to talk about practice. The most important thing for any musician. The most important meal of the day for the musician. Indeed. Indeed. When it comes to practice, what do you guys think of and why is it such an important topic for musicians? It's not something that is taught to a good standard, mostly. A lot of times you just say practice is at home. A teacher, sometimes I'll just say practice is at home. But what does that actually mean? Does that mean like I'm supposed to go over it? Am I supposed to? What makes it practice and how do I use my practice time wisely where I can make the most of it and get better quickly? or quicker than I would if I were just to play the music over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Really just making sure that practice is, is good. Perfect <laughs> practice <laughs> makes perfect. Practice is correct. <laughs> practice is correct, yeah. One of the first things that I hear when I think of teachers saying, okay, you need to practice. First things I think of is, is okay, you need to practice 30 minutes a day. What do you think? I'd say that's, that's a good standard. It's not as big of a time commitment as most people would think it is. I'm not going to tell a five-year-old to go practice 30 minutes a day. That's just asking a lot. You can probably not get a five-year-old to do much of anything. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. It's very true. I think it really comes down to obviously the person. Yes. I agree that half an hour is needed every day for the most part. It really depends on what you're doing within that half hour. You can really get a lot done within a half hour. Whereas if you're basically playing for a half an hour and noodling and don't really have a whole lot of focus, that's not a good half hour. Right. If you're using your half hour strategically, you break it down into segments, you're working on warm ups, you're working on an actual passage, and then you have a little bit of play time in there. I think that's a good half hour that is used wisely. Anything more than that, I think is also very good. Uh, I know in my prime, when I was a teenager, I was playing six to eight hours a day. I realized that as a parent or someone that is in sports may not have that much time. So I think it is important that if you do have a lot of things going on within your day and you are involved in sports or other activities, that you do strategically say, okay, I have a half an hour before I go to school, when I wake up in the morning or after school, when I get home or whenever, that you strategically every single day at the same time, try not to do it sporadically, the same time, try to dedicate at least a half an hour of time to a specific idea, technique, something that you're working on. And I think that will get you leaps and bounds further than any other practice. Absolutely. And I do think Whenever we are teaching lessons to students who are starting out, I found that not just me, but a lot of teachers, we prescribe practicing. So it's some of the earliest things that we teach the students if they're on a certain page in whatever book we're working on that for homework, it's play this song five times in a row and then try to speed it up. So it's very specific because if we just say work on this this week, if the student doesn't have enough experience in doing that, then they might sit in front of their instrument and try it and think, okay, I, I worked on it. 
for once or twice, but they might not have actually made too much progress on it. How would you guys structure practice time within a half an hour? Should we start from how we hold ourselves as any student? So just a general global, just how would you structure a half an hour of practice? Okay. I would say if we're doing a half hour, first five minutes is warm up and getting situated. So that's not just tuning your instrument if it needs to be tuned, but also making sure that you are in a comfortable, quiet space that you can focus on. Mm -hmm. So maybe not in the living room with your rest of your family watching television. If you practice in your own bedroom, close the door, eliminate distractions, put the device away. That takes about five minutes. Uh, And then think about, just take one minute of that five minutes and think about what do I want to accomplish in that half hour? And then I would say for me on whatever instrument I'm working on the next five minutes, five to 10 minutes, depending on what I'm focusing on scales. Okay. That's something that even the most beginner piano student, that's just doing five finger scales on the piano. One, two, three, four, five, four, three, two, one. If you're a vocalist, you do very gentle warm ups with that. You're 10 minutes in. 10 minutes in. So then I would do 10 whole minutes of dedicated work of whatever I'm trying to accomplish. So that's my hardest song. That's whatever difficult passages I'm trying to do. Really challenging yourself. That's the goal you're setting is, okay, I want to get through this song without messing up. Or I you know, want to allow myself one or two mistakes. That's the really regimented practice. Then that leaves the last 10 minutes. Five minutes of that, I allow myself to play something that's fun. That's how I close out the practice. It's almost kind of like a cool down. And so I play through my favorite guitar riffs or whatever song that I just finished mastering that I really like. I play through that a couple of times. And then the last five minutes is winding down, packing up, assessing what you did, what you accomplished and think, you know, did I meet my goal? What should I do the next practice? And that's about 30 minutes. Cool. Josh, what do you think? I like it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. When it comes to practice for at least drummers, me being a drummer, we don't have scales. We have rudiments. That's right. Yeah. A lot of at least beginning like the drums, it involves making sure that your hands are holding the sticks correctly and just focusing on that. So like you said, warm up the first like five minutes or so. Not warm up the first five minutes, but get ready. Warm up the next like five minutes. Practice the next like 10, 20 maybe if you want to of the regimented stuff so the stuff that you're trying to get better the stuff that your instructor may have assigned to you the stuff that you are kind of working towards so like if if you have a song that you're really working on you really want to learn the song just making sure that you are taking the time to learn the parts properly rather than just kind of going at it and throwing what you already know how to do like like listen to the song or or look at the song and really just focus on it and make sure that you're properly doing that and then the last bit, again, like you said, have fun, have fun. Like that's, that's where playing music comes in. Like you want remember to play why, music. <laughs> right. You remember why you're doing it in the first place. Yeah. 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 Yep. yeah. I think that first five to 10 minutes is crucial. And a lot of people tend not to do it. The warm up process and getting your body ready to be able to get into the zone. Whether that's, you know, with guitar, I think a lot of guitarists will 
just pick up the instrument and start playing. Same thing, well, I can't say for piano, but I think a lot of musicians will just pick up their instrument and just play. So f- to kind of interject with that, most houses have either an electric piano. If, if they have somebody who's playing piano, it's either like a installation in the home mm. that's sitting there mm. that's available um, on purpose or it's an electric keyboard that's also readily available. Same thing for guitar. If you're a guitar student or a guitar enthusiast, you probably have a guitar just sitting outside of its case. So most people are tempted to just grab it and go mm-hmm. or grab it and play, sit at it. And yeah, you're right. Most of the time that that window gets skipped. Yes. The warmups. Yeah. Which practice tip for, um, for the guitar specifically. The guitar is a portable instrument. So a lot of times you'll put it in a case. And when you get home, you might not take it out of the case. Always keep it out of the case when you're learning it. Put it on a stand. That way you are more inclined to practice as well. Like you see it, you want to pick it up. That initial warm-up time is also crucial to avoid injuries as oh, well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, because you don't want to just, just start wailing on the drums or wailing on the guitar like as fast as possible because you could pull something. It's just like warming up for a run or whatnot. You mm-hmm. just want you want to be able to warm up get the muscles moving, get the, the ligaments moving and everything and start going. Start stretching. Yeah, yep. absolutely. It's yeah, a literal warm up. Yes, it, it really is. It's like I, I tell all my students, like, look, basketball, baseball, soccer, whatever it is, coach always has you out on the field running laps or whatever it is to get warmed up. You're doing stretches. You're getting warmed up for the actual next part. It's the same thing with any of your instruments. You need to actually get to the point where everything's flowing. It's moving. It's like, okay, good. You had mentioned scales going through. Yes. I've done scales a million times, but that it's not, it's not about the scales. It's about the the technique. It's about the motion. It's about thinking about exactly how you're doing it for the 563rd time. Don't just do it mindlessly. Think about what you're doing. Concentrate on the motion behind what you're doing. And think about how maybe you might be able to improve it. Um, One of the biggest things with guitarists is minimal movement. You want to think about not big, wide, extravagant motions. Uh, I remember a, a drummer that I used to talk to had talked about the drummer's box. And from it's like this, that the idea from the shoulders and not being able to move out. I see drummers swinging their sticks and I'm like, I get that. That's a rock drummer's perspective, but you're exerting so much energy. Think about a three hour show and think about doing a three hour show, 250 shows a year. It's not going to happen. You need to work on technique and thinking about how do we minimize movement so we can play for long periods of time at our best. So thinking about that warm-up period is extremely important because it's not something that should be mindless. It should be something that you're really thinking about and utilizing the best up because that leads into the next bulk part of practice, which is, okay, what am I going to work on? And if it's a song, Great. Most often, though, in my experience, it's part of a song. It may be even a couple of measures of measures to a song where you're really focusing on something that may be difficult. Because most often times when we're working on something, I can play that. I can I can do that. But there's this one part that 
is really giving me a, a difficult time. I, I often have students where they'll play uh, a passage and then they'll have a part that they keep on messing up on. And then they'll start way back at the beginning of the passage again. And I'm like, wait, wait, we don't need to, we've, we've already established that you can do this section. We really need to focus on this measure or these two measures or this transition. And we really need to work on that for five minutes. We really need to focus in on how it's really giving you a hard time and why it's giving you a hard time. Let's slow it down. I always hear the same thing. Well, it's easier if I speed it up. It just kind of, you know, I'm like, no, 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 no. If you can play something perfectly slow, you can play something perfectly fast, but you need to play it perfectly slow first. Right. Yes. Because if you try to play something a million times fast and you're sloppy at it, it's going to take you much longer to get better at it, sloppy, versus taking it extremely slow, being precise about all your movements and learning the technique of why you're making those movements, getting it down perfect, and then gradually speeding it up with a metronome. You're going to find your, your, your progress happens much faster that way. But we all have it in our minds that no, man, I'm just going to play it. You know, it ends (laughs) up being just sloppy and it's like, oh yeah, I get it. I've been there, but no, we need to break this down and really focus on just this part and you're going to do much better. You mentioned um, how most students, you know, they want to start back at the beginning or whenever you do dedicate that time to practicing, you start from the beginning of a song. And that makes me kind of smile to myself because I remember being that that student with (laughs) violin and I would have a perfectly polished first 10 measures (laughs) every time. It's like I can nail the intro of this song right. perfectly well. And, you know, even if it was a difficult intro, it's like I would have that down because that's the first thing you look at every time. But imagine the look on my face whenever my teacher was like, no, we're starting at the last measure and we're actually going to work backwards. Yes. Measure Absolutely. by measure. Measure that's by measure. Great. So you play the end, then you play the measure before the end and the end and so on. And then, I mean, that was, I spent several lessons of, we're not even going to touch the beginning. We're going to start from the end and work your way back. And man, oh man, I was so mad. But the thing with that though is it really, really helps. It does. Oh my gosh, yes. It's like muscle confusion, but mm -hmm. for musicians. The more that you practice the hard stuff, the easier the hard stuff will be. And then the easy stuff just becomes easier and easier because you're eventually going to add that to it. And then, as you're practicing the easier stuff with the hard stuff, the hard stuff still becomes easy. That was a very confusing sentence. <laughs> I think I followed you. I yeah. think I followed you there. Yeah. So, so let me get a diagram here. Yeah. yeah let's go with this is way. Okay. But yeah. No, like you practice the hard stuff first, practice the transitions, a lot of transitions issues or transition issues. Like you said, the first 10 measures is going to be fantastic, but then they hit that spot and they're like, Oh, let me, let me try that again. And then it goes straight back to the beginning. Take a second, break it down. If you, if you, even if you have to break it down even further than a measure, like break it down beat by beat. Absolutely. And then work backwards, work forwards. Just add little bits on around that problem area. And then you'll eventually start doing that problem area a lot better. You'll start to understand why you were doing it wrong in the first place. Mm-hmm. So the more times that you play something wrong, the more it's going to cement that wrong thing. Always break it down, break it down. I had a student several weeks ago that we were working on a, some song. I can't remember what passage it was, but especially with guitarists, 
they have a tendency to ignore rhythm. And a lot of the time, what I will get from a lot of my students is, uh, can you just play it? And I specifically will tell them, no, (laughs) I I won't play it because I know what you're doing. And what they're looking to do is monkey see, monkey do, or monkey hear, monkey play. And the idea is if I can hear it, I can play it. And that's not what I want. That's regurgitation. Mm -hmm. You're not learning anything by doing that. I want you to look at the page and I want you to tell me what that rhythm is. And they get this blank stare on their face. And it's like, you can do this. We've gone through the studies of whatever it is, quarter notes, eighth notes, anything. We've gone through the study. I know you can do it. Just try. It's that initial of, oh my God. What if I get it wrong? <laughs> right, right, right. Didn't right. you get it wrong? And it was. It was the next five to 10 minutes of like, nope, do it again. And well, why, why am I not? Just play it. No, 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 no. Mm-mm. I'm not going to tell you what it is. You need to figure this out. You can do it. And then they play it. Nope, that wasn't it either. Come on, look at the page. It's The answer is right in front of you. Don't look at me. Look at the page. Count it out. Let's break it down really slow. You take them through that process. And it was like, what was really interesting is, is they had this preconceived idea of what the rhythm was and they kept on playing that rhythm and it was concreted. It was in their head the wrong way. And I was like, okay, you're doing it wrong. Look at the page. And eventually once I broke them <laughs> of that frustration <laughs> with me. Well, you are right though. 10 minutes later, had the lick. It was perfect. Yeah. It sounded great. And they felt proud. They were like, oh, I did it. I did. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you did it. That's, that's what we all need to do. All of us. It's hard to be able to break the habits that we have. And that's what practice time is for. That's what a practice session should look like every time. Absolutely. Is you walking away, shuddering a little bit, but going, I did it. I I got through it. Yep. Yep. That just kind of reminded me of something that actually happened today with one of my students. We were, we were talking about some rhythms, right? And they know the rhythms. They, they know how to do them separately, but when putting them together, they were having a lot of difficulty. And with the drums, like you, you have multiple things going on at the same time. You don't necessarily have notes. You have rhythms. You don't, you don't have like A, B, C, D, E, F, G. You have quarter note, eighth note, 16th note, that sort of thing. I said, okay, take your right hand, put it on the snare drum, and we're going to isolate it on just the snare drum. We're going to play the rhythm that you see there on the snare drum. The same thing can be applied towards guitar or piano when they're having difficulty with rhythm. Let's clap it. Mm-hmm. Let's just clap the rhythm. Or let's yep. play it on one string or one note. Like, let's just focus on the rhythm, and then we're going to try to apply another note. Yeah. And another note and another note. So yeah. I often do that with my students is put down the guitar. We're going to clap it out. It's so disorienting too. Yep. The students are like, you want me to do what? Yep. Absolutely. I'm I'm here can't, for can't, guitar, I just, can't I just tap on the guitar or anything? Right. Nope. No, put it down. <laughs> yeah. We're going to clap it out and we're going to count out loud. Yeah. That's, that's the, that's the, the one thing part. that everybody's like, what do you mean count out loud? I, I can just do it in my head. No, 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 no. There's a physicalness that you have to be able to do. And then once they do that, then, okay, we're going to pick up a guitar and we're not going to play notes. We're just going to mute the strings and we're going to strum the strings in that same pattern Mm -hmm. and just kind of get the physicalness of it. So yeah, there's, there's definitely a, (laughs) a reluctancy to actually want to get into rhythm. 
we all want to be able to just hear it and play it. And it's, it's hard to, it's hard. So what about an advanced player? So somebody who's looking for a challenge, do you, do each of you think that there is a plateau you reach as a professional musician? Like I have my regimen and that's the one I'm going to keep for the next 10 years. I actually have my own, I guess, problems. Don't we all? Yeah. (laughs) So I did hit it. I did hit not a plateau, but I hit a wall a while ago. I didn't really know what to do with it. I didn't know what else I could do to really get out of the habits that I was doing. So in terms of just playing the same thing over and over and over again, applying it to the same songs and whatnot. What I ended up doing was taking the basics, so the rudiments that I'm doing, and mixing them up a little bit, combining them together. A lot of the rhythmic type stuff, the rhythmic problems that we have is we think of one, two, three, four as the the pulse, right? But when you start playing with accents in other places or I guess flams um, in other places, like it starts transforming like your mind and like how you think about it or even just playing in a different uh, time signature, a different key, like doing the same song in a different key. Like try that, like see how that goes. It's going to be different, different chords, different fingerings, everything. One example that I can think of is is doing a group of uh, four 16th notes, right? So that, 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 that or one E and a, and then accenting the first note, the first like hit, which is one E and a, one E and a, and then one E and a. Yeah. That's what I was, uh, where you were going with that. One E and a, one E and a, uh, right? So, so this is kind of like the bad example or that, 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 that. Now you're speaking drummer. Yeah, I'm speaking drummer. <laughs> Sorry, I don't speak drummer. My goodness. So kind of, from my perspective, in terms of what you were, what does an advanced player play? I think it's much the same. A lot of it is identifying and understanding that you are hitting a wall or a point where you could progress more. I, Speaking of drummers, I think of someone like Neil Peart and how at some point, I mean, he's the professor, he's an amazing drummer. And then at 50 years old, he decides to take up jazz drumming and go study with you know, the greatest jazz drummers. I think being able to identify as a musician that you've hit a place where you need to expand more and could expand more because music is, it's so vast and there's so many things that you can learn. And especially as a beginner and an intermediate player, we do get stuck in our box. We play what we like to play because we're still in that process of learning. And then once you get to that point where you're an advanced player and you've kind of mastered your skill, I think it's important to look beyond your box and be able to look at either a genre that you're not familiar with and maybe going back to the basics. Maybe it's, okay, I'm not familiar with jazz. Let's go back to the basics of jazz and start learning that process. Be a beginner again and learn more things. And now you can incorporate those techniques those things that style into your playing. Maybe you're a jazz player and you don't know what metal is. So you say, okay, well, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try something new to help me expand my vocabulary. So for me, that's what I think of when I say, what does an advanced player do? How do they look at that half an hour and say, okay, how am I going to progress more than I already have? I think it's for me, it's looking at other styles of music, other techniques that you are unfamiliar with 
That way you're still learning and you can incorporate that into your style or not. You don't have to, but at least you're learning. And another thing is focus on your weak points. Always just focus on your weak points. Some people are really, really good at playing by ear. They're really good at it. Maybe they might not be good at reading music. Yeah, sight reading. Sight reading. I don't know anyone that's like super good at sight reading, but like that comes with age and experience. Yeah. The longer that you do it, that's a skill that develops itself. The violin practice regimen is rigorous. Yes. And to kind of give some perspective. So yeah, you would have the warm ups would be tuning scales. Then you would have something called an etude. For those who don't know what an etude is several hundred years back, um, composers would write songs that sounded like songs, but they're also obstacle courses for you to play. So they're meant to, they're meant to be played and you could enjoy them as a song, but they're also very rudimentary and you're demonstrating a certain skill like speed or articulation with your right hand versus your left hand and that sort of thing. So you'd spend 10 minutes on that. Then you would have piece number one that you're working on, work on that for some time, piece number two that you're working on, then sight reading, it, it became a workout. So that's, I guess, something else we could talk about is at what point do you expand into beyond 30 minutes? What if you are a very dedicated musician and you want to make it an hour? How does that proportionally scale from 30 minutes to an hour or two hours? I mean, we mentioned we've, each of us have played for several hours a day. What did we do with that time? Yeah. Quick question about the violin and just really, really in instruments in general. Would you say that there are, there, or there is a certain way that you have to play to be able to play well, like specifically the violin, like there's certain techniques that you need to learn. I know you're, this is the conversation that we had last the other day. From my perspective as a violin teacher, if you don't do it in a very particular way, you can seriously hurt yourself. See, that's that's really good. But on the drums, <laughs> <laughs> there is so much to learn. Like even if you if you like playing a certain way, I would say, if, especially if you're an advanced drummer, branch out and try to learn other techniques because there are many techniques that you can do to play the drums. Um, there's like three or four different foot techniques to play the bass drum. How oh, are true. you at traditional? Traditional? Uh, tra like the traditional sticks? Fine. Yeah. I, I can play that really well. Um, I played in marching band, so I was able to do that fine. It's not my favorite in the world because it's not really that practical anymore. So something that you could work on, though. I already know how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> well? Yeah, well. Okay. I, could do, I could do it well. <laughs> um, yeah. Where the conversation that we were having the other week was, is like, okay, so at what point as a teacher do you have, there are certain techniques out there that are, Correct. air quotes, wrong. And then you have a student that comes in and that plays it wrong. But there is that argument that every player is unique. And there are plenty of examples out there that they've made it work and they're a professional and sorry, Mr. Teacher can confirm. Yeah. Who was, who was the guitarist that um, played on an upside down Hendrix? Was it Jimi Hendrix? Yeah. Really? Yes. Mm -hmm. 
He played on an upside down, yep, like strung guitar. Yep, I didn't know that was him. Left-handed player, huh? They didn't have left-handed guitars back then. Or if they really? did, they were very rare. That would be wild. Mm-hmm. But he made it work. And then there was also another guitarist. He didn't play. I think he actually was blind, but um, he didn't play with like holding the guitar normally. He played it like on his lap. Um, I saw him play. It was my first concert I ever watched. Played in the movie Roadhouse. I'll get it. Hold on. Um, I'll come back to it okay. at the end of the podcast. I will let you know who the who it is. I'm sure our audience is like, it's this guy. Can I interject about the um the wrong technique but still works thing? Mm, yeah. Um, from the violin world, there is that. I mean, like like I said, if you are not holding it just right, like you are absolutely doing it wrong. There is a bow grip that takes weeks to master. There are corrections that even people. You're the teacher? Do you yep. hear the teacher? Yep. That are 10 years in that I'm like, you're doing it wrong. We're relearning it. But then you have Itzhak Perlman, who is one of the world-class violinists who are still alive today. He plays. I'm sure that there are many teachers out there that say that, you know, he is playing everything correctly. But if you watch certain techniques, like the way that he does his vibrato, it's something that, you know, I would correct in a student, Mm -hmm. but because he's a world class violinist, world famous violinist, he's allowed to do whatever he wants. (laughs) It reminds me of what one of my English teachers said in high school, where it's like, well, what about, you know, um, William Faulkner or Robert Frost or any of those, those authors that got to talk however they wanted to talk. And they're like, well, they're famous authors. They can do whatever they want. Right. Yeah. Right. And I'm like, oh, okay then. So, right. you know, it's you you it's important that you learn the right way to play it. Yes. But and then branch out. Then branch out yeah. if you if you must. Yeah. That's my point is is that I think it's important for all students to know the correct way to do things. If you want to expand and learn how to downpick everything like James Hetfield, oh. then Okay, but you absolutely need to know how to alternate pick. You need to know the the techniques that we all as guitarists do. And then from there, you can do the other things. I will allow this, if that, as a teacher. Marty Friedman holds his wrist way below the bridge of the guitar and comes up and plays like this, Ugh. and it's the weirdest technique Ugh. I've ever seen in my entire life. But he's also one of the most amazing guitarists. There's no denying Marty Friedman. He's really freaking good. There's always an exception to the rule, always. Yeah. It's hard as a teacher because I'm sure Marty Friedman's teacher was pretty much like, dude, like, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? And he was very much like, no, this is what feels comfortable for me. This is what I'm going to do. So it's hard. But we as teachers have general guidelines that have been proven techniques over decades and centuries of time that this is what works and will get you from A to B faster. And healthier. And healthier. Now, with more traditional instruments or orchestra, right? I'm sure that there's a lot more <laughs> oh, yeah. than something like rock and roll. Rock and roll has a little more leniency. Well, it's important to remember that guitar, the guitar that we teach for like electric guitar is not the traditional way. The traditional way is you are on a footstool yep. 
and you are holding your guitar without a strap and you're not using a pick and you are using a classical nylon Spanish guitar. That's correct. That is the correct way to play guitar. Everything else is folk style. Mm-hmm. Even James Hetfield is a folk style because of the posture, where the left hand is, where the guitar is in relation to. That's all informal posture. So by all those arguments, standard guitar that we that you know anybody would learn that's not Spanish guitar is quote wrong right yep yep are there left-handed um violins like do you can you put it on your right shoulder and play left-handed that just no that See, image it, that hurts him it hurts me that hurts you hurt him. me Jeff. I, I have i have never in my life in fifth in that. fifth grade all the the music teachers i think she did it as a joke she's like are you right-handed or left-handed and someone goes left-handed she's like great you're putting it this way like, yeah. it's, like everybody it's left shoulder bow arm is the right arm fingerboard arm is the left arm yeah you can't you cannot sit with other you can't I that's no, the reason I why that. is because you're sitting in an orchestra with an ensemble yeah, you if you have together if you have a stand partner that i'm sitting one or two feet away from yeah you can't have the bow going <laughs> the other yeah. direction so that's but, i believe that's the primary reason why but if i wanted to interrupt the status quo and make then you wouldn't be in the orchestra. They'd be like, get out. <laughs> you could have a left-handed orchestra. It would have to be a left-handed. That could be a good. That'd be oh, a terrible idea. Man, y'all are breaking my heart. <laughs> that would be funny. You could upset all. The I'm turning in my grave, and I'm not even dead yet. <laughs> That's hilarious. You know, it's kind of you know, it's kind of weird. It'd be, um, a, it'd be a hit. I bet oh, you a lot of people would go see it. it. Would not. Most brass instruments that are valved are played with the right hand, mm-hmm. remembering tuba and euphonium. Another valved instrument that is not, it's actually played with the with the left hand, is the French horn. Correct. So it's just crazy to see like that. that How those of, instruments all evolved in their own way. Yeah, yeah. And it uses strings to rotate the valves too, which is also strange to me. That is wild. For the last segment of our podcast today, it comes down to the last 10 minutes and play. The idea of playing your instruments and having fun for the last 10 minutes and just kind of going at it and enjoying the instrument. I think that's also equally as important as the previous 10 minutes is to just really explore and kind of get into some music and have fun with your instrument. Because if it's all work, then oftentimes it gets very frustrating. And in human nature, you're just going to want to stop. Right. Because it's not fun at all. It's work. Right, right. So I think that last 10 minutes is extremely important for you as as a musician to just really explore your instrument and have some fun with it. Yeah, absolutely. And then even taking it further, get into a band. An ensemble. An ensemble, like play as a group. Because, I mean, there's nothing better as a musician than playing with other musicians, especially when you just all get together and you just start jamming. Like that, I think that is probably the most fun that I have had with music. It's just playing with other people. And I, you definitely are right. I do feel like you can't tell your band members to wait 20 minutes while you practice. <laughs> yeah. Come in the last 10. But, but to kind of add to the standard practice regimen that we're building, maybe use that last 10 minutes to practice your favorite song in the ensemble that you're in. 
Um, or, I mean, everybody's going to have a favorite song. I mean, why else are you playing that instrument? Right. Yeah. There's yeah. going to be something that you actually enjoy playing. So even if it's on guitar, Blackbird for the 500th time, <laughs> do it. That was yeah. me for like five years was just, yeah, I really like this song. I'll do it over and over again. Yeah. yeah. Or it, it's also a matter of, I think it's now uh, a time in this 10 minutes to, if you're playing a cover song, to throw on the cover song and play along. Uh, I think that is a separate thing that you should be, for me as a teacher, that's a separate thing that you should be doing with that middle 10 minutes separated by the last 10 minutes. I personally don't feel that the focused practice time should be used for playing along with music. I think that should be saved for the last 10 minutes and kind of feeling it out and having fun with it. As we've talked about before, most oftentimes when you play along with music, you're not necessarily listening. You're just playing and you're playing over top of things. And I don't think that's a really good use of the medium of music and playing along with it. Uh, I think that's better used and utilized as something to have fun with. Absolutely. I would agree. So, yeah. Anything else? Gentlemen, you could be listening to this podcast and probably practice one and a half to two times. <laughs> yeah, there you go. This concludes the Box Rock South Writing Podcast. Thank you all for listening. I am Josh. I am Tom. I am Aaron. If you have any questions, you can always reach out to us. Our phone number is 703-957-3375. And you can also reach us by contacting us at our email at southwriting at bachtorock.com. Also check out our website. Yeah, awesome. Thank you for listening, everybody, and we shall talk to you next week. I have your guitarist. You want to guess? I, uh, give me the first letter. J. J. Don't give it away. Is he actually blind? He yep. played. Okay. All the, the images are on, on the search are all him with the guitar on his lap. Yeah. Eyes closed. He played in the movie Roadhouse. It says Canadian jazz guitarist. No, he's not a jazz guitarist. This is the picture. Yeah, you guys, I mean, like you nailed him. Angel Eyes is the hit that he had. What the heck is this guy's name? Do you want the first letter of the last name? I don't think I don't think you have it. No, it's it's, it's Angel Eyes is this person. Really? Yep. Dang. D you give up? I know I'm going to be so mad. I mean, it was my first concert. Well, I can't say my first concert, but my first rock concert. Last initial? Last name. Yeah, what's to start with? H. What's the first letter? J. J-H. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Just, it's Jeff Healy. Jeff Healy. Jeff Healy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry. There you go. <laughs>